Well, we welcome all of those of you who are joining us online and those of you who are meeting together here at Central Campus, along with those of you meeting together at one of our other campuses in Airdrie, in Bridgeland, in South Calgary, and also at our Bears Paw campus. If you're visiting with us today, or are you relatively new to our church, uh, typically once a year I give a vision address in which I focus on what God has been doing in and through our church, and also where we believe God is leading us as a church, which I trust will not only help you to understand a little more about what we're about as a church, but also will inspire and challenge you uh, to join us in fulfilling the vision and the mission that God has called us to. Uh, So with that in mind, I'm going to invite you to turn in your Bible or your Bible app to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. Now the theme of this particular chapter um, is faith. And in verse 6, the writer talks about the kind of faith that pleases God. And so if you're able, I'm going to invite you to stand with me and join me in reading one of the most profound verses in the Bible. And without faith, it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you again for your word. We thank you for your church. Lord, the church was your idea. You're the one who founded it. And Lord, we just ask that you would remind us today of what it is you've called us to be as a church and what kind of faith it is that really pleases you. Soften our hearts, focus our minds, and give us the courage to respond in the manner in which you call us to. For we pray it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. may be seated. Now, in the verse that we just read, notice it does not say that without faith, it is difficult or it is challenging to please God. No, it says without faith, it's impossible to please God. So what kind of faith is being talked about here? Well, Paul defines it right in this verse. First of all, a faith that pleases God is a faith that believes He exists. Now, believing that God exists is more than just intellectual assent. It's more than just a head thing um, or, or saying that you believe in God. I mean, the Apostle James reminds us that even the demons believe that God exists. No, the writer is saying a faith that pleases God is having a deep conviction that he is a living reality, that he is who he says he is. The all-powerful, all-knowing, everywhere-present God who is also loving, good, and gracious, as well as holy, just, and sovereign. A faith that believes God exists isn't wishful thinking. It isn't the notion that if we just believe hard enough, everything's going to turn out the way that we want it to. This isn't faith in God. This is faith in faith. I mean, if God isn't the object of our faith, we're just trusting in ourselves. A faith that believes God exists isn't an emotional 
reckless leap of faith into the dark. No, it is based on compelling evidence. And after weighing the evidence, it's a conviction that we have, a conclusion that we come to, that he is as real as I'm standing here, and I'm not a hologram, by the way, as real as I'm standing here, that he is the truth, that he tells the truth, that he, uh, not on, and not only is the basis of a full and satisfying life here on this earth, but also the way to eternal life with him in the next life. A faith that believes God exists is all of that, but it is even more. It is such a deep assurance in the reality of our living God that it serves as a foundation upon which everything else in our life rests including our values, our priorities, and our lifestyle. You see, a faith that pleases God is always something that you live out. It is a faith that not only seeks to hear what God is saying, but to do what God is calling us to do. And therefore, is a faith that reshapes our lives and also rearranges our priorities. Which leads us to the second mark of faith, a faith that pleases God. It is not only a faith that believes God exists in the manner that we just talked about, but verse 6 says that it's also a faith, faith that believes God rewards those who earnestly seek him. Second Chronicles 16.9 communicates a similar truth. It says that for the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. Both these passages say that God is looking for a certain kind of heart. He's searching the whole world. And he's asking, is there anyone who wants to know me? I mean, really know me? Is there anyone who wants to get close to me? to include me in your day, to walk and talk with me as a friend, to trust me with your life and the issues in your life. God wants to strengthen and bless us. And he wants to accomplish his kingdom purposes through us, but that won't happen if our heart is devoted elsewhere. As long as we devote our lives to worshiping the created things rather than the creator, we are missing the whole point of life or the reason God created us in the first place, which is to have a close friendship with him. Now, you've probably noticed, but it's near impossible to love and to feel close to someone you don't know or that you don't trust which is the dilemma that God faces with us. How does he get us to know and to trust him? And so all through the Bible, we see God trying to get people's attention, to move them from just believing in him from a distance to the place where they know him and they trust him and they grow in their affection for him. Well, he does it most often by giving them an assignment a challenge of some sort that requires them to trust them. In Genesis 12, Abraham and his family are enjoying life. 
and the safety and the security of living in a, a, a relatively modern city of that day. And God approaches Abraham and he asks him to pull up stakes and to move. And Abe says, where are we going, Lord? And God says, well, I'll let you know along the way. Just pack up the moving van, start driving. And Abraham said yes to God's invitation, not because God promised him that his life was going to be better or easier or safer, but because he believed God. He believed God lives. He believed that God tells the truth, that he has our best interests at heart, and that he can be trusted. Now make no mistake, Abraham could have said no to God. He could have refused to go and he could have lived out the rest of his days in relative peace, comfort, and safety rather than wander as a nomad and live in a tent the rest of his life. But Abraham would have missed the opportunity to experience the jaw-dropping power of God at work in and through his life that we read about in the book of Genesis. And most importantly, he would have missed the opportunity to become a close friend of God. In Exodus 3, God challenged Moses to step out in faith, return to Egypt, and to set his people free. Moses, he felt totally inadequate and said, Lord, I'm just not your guy. I'm a poor communicator, and I just have no idea what to say. But God said, Moses, trust me. I've called you to do this, and I'm going to provide you with the words, with the wisdom, everything you need. Just get up, step out, and head back to Egypt. Now, again, Moses could have said no. I have no doubt if he had said no that God would have called someone else. But think about the mind-blowing faith adventures that Moses would have missed and the opportunity to become a close friend of God's. In the New Testament era, think of the step of faith that Mary and Joseph took and the faith adventure they would have missed had they said no to being the earthly parents of Jesus. Now in Luke chapter 6, verse 38, Jesus taught the same principle in this manner. He said to those listening to them, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Jesus says, you take the first step and you give. And your needs, not necessarily your, all your wants, but your needs will be met. And more than that, your faith in me will grow and you will be rewarded through a closer walk with me. We see this principle all through scripture. But here's the thing. God hasn't changed. The God who was faithful then is the God who continues to be faithful now. What he did through Abraham and Joseph and Moses and many of the others that we see listed here in Hebrews 11, he wants to do through us today. He calls us to take on an assignment, a step of faith, so that he can show himself powerful to us 
and grow our trust in him and our affection for him. The, Hebrew, the writer of Hebrews says, God rewards those who earnestly seek him. He may reward us with a deeper sense of his presence and peace, a deeper assurance that he will never leave us or forsake us. And at times, he may also reward us with an unbelievable display of his supernatural power. A few months ago, my sister sent me a YouTube clip that focused on Tim Tebow, who was the quarterback for the Denver Broncos uh, around 2011 to 2013. And Tebow loves Jesus and was often mocked by the media for boldly communicating his faith in Jesus. Anyways, Tebow played a significant role in revitalizing the Denver Broncos at that time, leading them uh, in 2012 to their first AFC West title and also their first playoff victory in seven years. Before the final and deciding game in that series against the Pittsburgh Steelers, Tebow decided to step out in faith and put John 3.16 in his eye blacks just below his eyes, as you see football players do, uh, in response to what he believed was a prompting from God. And of course, the media drew attention to it. They made a big deal of it. But despite the subtle and the not-so-subtle ridicule that he received, God honored Tim's step of faith. For you see, it was revealed later after the game that during that championship game, over 90 million people Googled John 3.16. And it was the number one trending thing on every platform. Only eternity will reveal how many of those people who Google John 3.16 that day began to seek Jesus from that day forward. Now this news wasn't the only thing that left Tebow in awe that day. After the game, the PR guy for the Denver Broncos pulled him aside and after telling him about the 90 million people who Googled John 3.16, he went on to say, but that's not all, Tim. During the game, you threw for 316 yards. Your yards per completion were 31.06. Your yards per rush were 31, uh, 3.16. Our time of possession as a team was 31.06. And the te television ratings for the night were 31.6. Now, isn't that amazing? Now, <laughs> you may believe that that was a coincidence, but I challenge you to figure out the odds of that happening to one quarterback in one game. We're, we serve, folks, an amazing creative God, who I believe has an incredible sense of humor, by the way, a God who loves it when we say, Lord, I'm surrendering what little I have to you, my time, my talents, my money, my reputation. I'm going to step out and I'm going to do what you're calling me to do. And then as, as we do, he builds our faith and our trust in him by rewarding us with the front row seat. So we can watch him do the impossible or what we could never do in our own strength.
But let's bring it right home to where we live. Over the last 20 years, in response to the growth we've been experiencing as a church, we've had several build initiatives. And each time, we didn't want the focus to be on the buildings, but on the people who would be introduced to Jesus and grow in their faith in those buildings. And so each time, we invited all of you to write the name or the names of people in your sphere of influence on a rock or on a number of rocks. Family members, close friends, neighbors, working associates, classmates. And we place those rocks with those names under the Worship Center platform here at Central Campus and more recently in the foundation closest to the Worship Center at Bearspaw Campus. At other times, we had you write names on the concrete floor here in the Worship Center before it was covered over. Now here's the thing. By writing those names on a rock or on a concrete floor, we were taking a step of faith and we were saying, Lord, I am trusting you to use my prayers, my life, my caring, my witness, and the prayers and the ministry and the witness of others to bring these people whose names I've put on these rocks to bring these people to faith in Jesus Christ. And over the last 18 years, we have heard numerous stories of people whose names are, are on, written, on, written on rocks. We've seen numerous people come to faith in Christ. Just a few days ago, a young woman let me know that one of the people whose name she wrote on one of those rocks had come to faith in Christ just recently. We've had testimony of entire families come to faith in Christ whose names were written on those rocks. And it's not about the rocks. It's about the faith we expressed when we wrote those names on the rocks. A few months ago, Amanda gave such a testimony regarding her family. Amanda grew up in a Muslim home. She was so devoted to her faith, she signed up for the military in her teens. And she even volunteered to be a suicide bomber for her country. But deep down inside, she had no peace. Something was missing. And so years later, she made her way to Europe, and she explored many different religions. But none satisfied or filled the void in her soul. But then she had a vision, an encounter with Jesus Christ, who not only healed her of a debilitating and excruciatingly painful back condition, but filled her with a joy and a peace that passes all human understanding. She came to Canada, called by God to reach out to people in the Muslim faith. She became part of our church, and I had the joy of baptizing her in 2004. And when we were, when we were building Central Campus, Amanda wrote the name of her entire family on rocks, believing God would use her and others to introduce them all to the Jesus that she knows and loves. And at her son's baptism that happened just a few months ago, she shared the rest of the story with us. Watch this. The reason I'm standing here is just to testify the God goodness, the Father faithfulness, 
it may take long, but he is faithful. I, God brought me to Canada as a Muslim evangelist, but then he met me in Calgary. And then he brought me to this church. And then when they were building here, we all came here and I wrote every single person in my family, my brothers and sisters, four brothers, two sisters, and my mother. And I want to thank everybody for your prayer, especially Pastor Henry Shore, to be with me in this journey. My whole family came to Lord. Amen. Thank you. And right now, they are serving Lord. Even last Sunday, my brother, God used him to baptize 10 Muslims in Europe. And it kept going. And then my mother is the firstborn in his family, in her family. And she got five siblings. And again, thank your prayer. All my mother's siblings has gave their life to Lord. Then I met my husband, who is the firstborn <laughs> in his family. And then God gave us Yeshua, my son. And among my siblings, my brothers and sisters who gave their life to God, they got married. God gave them lots of children that they're all little. But he is the firstborn in this generation that grew up in a family that we both said Jesus Christ is the Lord and is the King of the Kings. No more Allah in my tribe. None of this generation worship the false God, but we all bow at the name of Adonai Elohim. Because he is the only true God. He is the only true God and he's not a respecter. If he did that for me, he will do it for everybody. But you just stay and believe he's faithful. But I want to thank him that he baptized me as a firstborn in my tribe that came to the truth. Today, God gives his opportunity that he baptized my son that is a firstborn in among the new generation and converted in my tribe, and I pray that you be around to baptize his firstborn in Jesus' name. Amen. All glory to the God. Thank you. So again, isn't God amazing? <laughs> he loves to reward us when we earnestly seek him, when we step out and say, Lord, I'm trusting you to use my life, to use my testimony, to introduce people in my sphere of influence to Jesus. Around four years ago, we informed you that despite uh, the additional space we acquired through the development of our central campus, the launching of four additional campuses in three other quadrants of the city and in Airdrie, we were once again experiencing growing pains in our children's ministry here at Central Campus, in our special needs ministry, uh, in our ministry to new Canadians and the working poor, the homeless, and also in our growing Bears Paw Campus in Northwest Calgary. And so after much prayer and deliberation, we decided as a church to once again step out in faith and follow God's leading 
to build more room for God in our facilities and also in our faith in him. After a time of prayer and seeking God's direction, many of us took a step of faith and we made a faith pledge greater than our capacity to meet, trusting God to provide for our needs and even more than our needs so that we might be able to give generously to our build initiative over and above our regular giving to the ministry and mission of our church. And God honored and rewarded our collective step of faith by meeting our initial minimum financial goal of $15 million over a three-year period. And once again, I want to thank you, not only for your faithful giving, but also for exercising faith, for stepping out and trusting God to make a way for you to give generously to our BUILD initiative. And we have also heard Many stories of how God has grown the faith of his people who have stepped out and trusted him in the area of their finances. One person told me when he and his wife prayed about uh, and, and then contemplated the, the significant amount they believed God was calling them to pledge to our building initiative. He said, we looked at each other and we said, we have no idea of how we're going to meet this faith pledge without the supernatural provision of God. Well, a few short weeks after making that pledge, they were blown away when they were offered a new job opportunity that would provide the finances to meet the pledge that they had made. Others told us God made a way through an unexpected promotion at work or unexpected funds through a family member's uh, estate or getting far more than they expected from something that they sold, or an unexpected refund from the bank or from the government. And those that I talked to were visibly excited as they expressed how amazed they were at how God honored and rewarded their faith and how their faith in God and relationship with God had gone to another level through trusting him in the area of giving. You see, church, the Christian life is a faith adventure. It isn't just sitting back and, and, and letting the world go by. No, it's an adventure, a faith adventure, taking little steps of faith in response to God's call and learning to trust our Lord to do what we could never pull off in our own wisdom or in our own strength. Now, let me apply this truth to where we find ourselves today. Our faith is encouraged, you know, when we read stories in the Bible or we hear stories like we've heard today from the past. But a God-pleasing faith is a faith that not only celebrates what God has done in the past through his people, it is also a faith that focuses on what God still wants to do today and tomorrow through his people. And that is what I want to talk to you about in the time remaining. You see, church, as you've heard me say a number of times this past year, I believe Satan is using this pandemic to not only divide us, but also to distract us from what matters most. And that is to keep our eyes on Jesus and to earnestly seek him and the mission that he has called us to. I also believe that Satan is, is using this pandemic to tempt us 
to focus so much on earthly concerns, on being safe, being secure, that we are hesitating, stepping out and living the faith-filled life that he calls us to. And so in light of that, let me ask you this question. If you knew Jesus was coming back one year from today, there's a lot of speculation about the coming of Christ. If you knew he was coming back a year from today, what would your focus in life be going forward? Would your values, would your priorities change at all? Would you be retreating from others? playing it safe, hunkering down, waiting for his return? Or would you be earnestly seeking the Lord in faith and stepping out, sharing your love for Jesus, doing what he calls you to do? You know, based on what we read in Hebrews, I find it so interesting that those who were recipients of this letter were going through difficult times and some were losing hope. Even though they didn't have the internet then, some were dabbling in strange teachings. Others were pulling away from the church and no longer meeting with other believers, and not because of a pandemic, but because they were experiencing a crisis of faith. Which is why in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24, the writer of Hebrews challenges them with these words. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Not giving up, meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day of the Lord approaching. Well, as your senior pastor, I pray that none of us will be divisive, that we'll have the spirit of Christ, that none of us will shrink back or pull away from the church community. I know COVID right now is, is, is the restrictions around it is keeping us, you know, limited to Zoom and, and, and apart. I recognize that reality, but I'm talking about the direction of our heart that we would not pull away from the church community or stop, uh, or, or stop stepping out and trusting God to use us to impact our world for Christ. I want to encourage, I want to challenge, and I want to spur us on to keep our eyes on Jesus, to earnestly seek him, and to consistently exercise a God-pleasing faith for his glory, for our own spiritual growth, and a closer walk with him, and for the sake of a world that needs the Jesus that we know and love. And I want to help us to do that by challenging us to prayerfully establish faith goals on an annual basis around our five pursuits. Let me give you a little background to our pursuits. Nearly 14 years ago, we sensed that God was bringing us to a, a new era, a new chapter um, as a church, that he was calling us to wait on him in prayer and to seek his direction for our church. We asked, Lord, what what kind of church do you want us to be when you come for us? And over the next 18 months, our staff, along with other church leaders, prayerfully studied and reflected on God's call for his church in the scriptures. 
And in the end, based on scripture, we believe that God was calling us as individuals together as a church to focus our lives and to give our lives primarily to the following biblical pursuits. The first one, pursuing God. The second to pursuing relationships. The third to pursuing his mission. The fourth to pursuing generosity. And the fifth to pursue simplicity. In short, we sense God saying, even as I pursue you, I want you first and foremost to pursue me. And then out of the strength of our relationship and together with other like-minded Christ followers, I want you to pursue the mission that I've called you to with the spirit of generosity and a life of simplicity. And so let me ask you, as you reflect on each of these pursuits, would you say there's at least one of them that you aren't growing in, that you're not pursuing? Given that the Bible teaches, and I don't know if we can put those pursuits on again on the screen or not, but, um, but given that the Bible teaches the importance of the pursuit that you feel you're not growing in, have you ever thought of why you aren't taking steps to grow in that pursuit? Is it because of a fear of failure? Is it because you don't think that you have the ability? Is it because you think you don't have the time? Whatever the reason, what is God saying to you about, about that? And what does he want you to do about it? Have you come to him about that? Is God calling you to step out and to trust him to help you grow in that pursuit? Well, that's an example of how we want to challenge you and we want to help you to not shrink back or pull away this year from what God wants to do in your life, but rather to step out and to trust God to grow you in each of these five pursuits by establishing a faith goal for each one of them. So what is a faith goal? Well, a goal is something you are committed to accomplishing in your own strength. That's not what we're talking about. A faith goal is something you are trusting God to accomplish through you by his strength. Faith goals give focus to our prayers because we need God to do what we can't do. Faith goals also give focus to our priorities. They keep us focused on Christ and the main things that Christ has called us to be and to do. Now, to help us to develop our faith goals, we've developed a guide, um, a card like this, on which, uh, which you can pick up after the service, by the way, uh, on your way out of the worship service. And we ask that you actually pick up two of these. One for you to keep as a reminder of the faith goals that you've made between you and God. The other to return anonymously to our church as a tangible expression 
to the Lord of your commitment to pursue him with all of your heart. Next weekend, there will be baskets at the entry, uh, the entrance to the worship center at your campus where you can deposit one of these completed cards. If you are joining us online, visit our website uh, to complete this card online. Or you can also download the card and print it off at home. Or if you'd like, you can come here at the central campus and pick up the card and also, of course, uh, deposit it uh, during the week or on the weekend, whenever it works for you. So I want to guide us through each of our biblical pursuits and how we might develop a faith goal for each one. Here is my prayer for each of you going forward. In the area of pursuing God, first of all, between now and the time that Christ returns, I pray that we will first and foremost be pursuing God with all of our heart. Psalm 42.1 says, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Like Adam and Eve, we were created to walk and to talk with God, to do life together with God. And nothing else will satisfy that longing that we have within for a deep connection to God, but God himself. But sadly, we often look to other things, cheap temporary substitutes like the quest for power, uh, the pursuit of a position, the pursuit of possessions and pleasure to satisfy that hunger and thirst in our soul. C.S. Lewis once made the observation that God offers us a life that far exceeds anything this world has to offer if we earnestly seek him. But far too many of us are too easily pleased with the lesser things of life. And so the question is, when we reflect on our passions and, and how we spend time outside of work, what is it that we are earnestly seeking? A closer walk with God and his call on our lives or the latest series on Netflix? Now, whatever the answer may be, my challenge to all of us is that we don't ignore this aspect of our spiritual lives. If we honestly would have to admit that our pursuit of God is, is not where we want it to be, that maybe we've stalled in that or even shrunk away from that, then I pray that we will take a step and make a God-pleasing faith goal something like this. And it's on the card. With your help, God, I commit to being sensitive to your voice all day, asking for your wisdom and strength and help and responding obediently to your prompting and to faithfully dedicate a certain amount of time, 15 minutes, 30 minutes, 45 minutes, each day to hear from you through the scriptures and to share my heart with you in prayer. Do you want to grow in your pursuit of God? Then step out and declare a faith goal. 
pursuing relationships. Between now and the time that Christ returns, I pray that we will be in Christ-centered, discipling relationships in the context of a community group or a ministry group. This is what Jesus did. He invited his disciples into relationship with himself. And in that context, his disciples learned firsthand what it meant to support one another, to pray for one another, to equip one another, and what it meant to follow Jesus and to live like Jesus. For some of you, the last 20 months during this pandemic has, has been a time of extreme loneliness. My question is, is this where you want to be a year from now? Is this where you want to be when Jesus comes again? My challenge to all of us is that we won't ignore the importance of pursuing Christ-centered relationships, but that we'll step out as, as scary and frightful as, frightening as it may be and make a faith goal to pursue relationships by establishing a God-pleasing goal like this. God, I am believing you to help me invest time into a discipling relationship with one or more people by becoming part of a community group or a ministry group committed to living the way of Jesus. Or if you're already uh, in a relationship with a small group of others, consider this faith goal. God, I'm trusting you to use me to invite one or more people to be part of my community group, my ministry group, committed to living the way of Jesus. And then thirdly, pursuing mission. Between now and when Christ returns, I pray that we would be pursuing the mission that Christ has called us to. 1 Timothy 2.4 says that God our Savior wants all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. In fact, this is the primary reason that Jesus came. In Luke chapter 19, verse 10, Jesus said, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. In John 20, verse 21, Jesus said to his followers, As the Father has sent me, so send I you. Church, nothing is closer to the heart of God than seeing his spiritually lost children come back in right relationship with him. And so when we all join together as his church and some of us care for and serve people and others share our story with people and others invite people to church or to their community group or to join them online uh, watching a service like this or uh, to an event where they'll be introduced to Jesus like an alpha group and others open the Bible and explain how to become a follower of Christ. In short, when we all pray about this and we trust Jesus to use us to see his spiritually lost children come in right relationship with himself, we are involved in the most God-glorifying mission possible. And so my challenge to all of us is that we won't ignore the importance 
of pursuing the mission that God has called us to, but that we will step out and we'll make a God-pleasing faith goal to pursue a mission that might be something like this, and it's also on this card. God, I am trusting you to use me through acts of caring and sharing, inviting, and or my verbal witness to see one or more people embrace Christ as their Savior and Lord. Number four, pursue generosity. Between now and when Christ returns, I pray that we would be pursuing generosity as a way of life. Hebrews 10 verse 12 tells us that Jesus willingly gave his life to pay for our sins and to serve as our substitute once and for all. John 3.16 says, God so loved the world that he gave, he gave his one and only son. When Christ returns, we want him to find us being generous, even as he was with the time that he's given to us, the finances he's given to us, the abilities and the spiritual gifts that he's given to us. In order that people would be introduced to Jesus and God's redemptive purposes would be accomplished in our world. Well, I want to thank you for your generosity as a church. I want to thank you for giving faithfully of your time, of your abilities and talent and finances to the mission and the ministry of our church. Because of your faithful generosity, we're aware of over 300 people who have came to faith in Jesus Christ through the ministry of our church this last year. Because of your faithful generosity, we were able to provide over 75,000 meals and hampers for the hungry, the homeless, and the working poor. Because of your faithfulness, your, uh, your generosity, we were able to continue to support the work of over 100 churches and mission agencies in our city, our nation, and around the world committed to the same mission that we are. And as I've said, thank you for stepping out and trusting God to provide a way for you also to give sacrificially to our BUILD initiative. I'm sure for many of you, it has been a faith-building adventure and has caused your faith in God to move to another level of trust. You know, when COVID hit, we were two years into our BUILD initiative. Overnight, our personal lives were turned upside down and our church life changed dramatically as well. And especially in those first few months, we were uncertain what implications COVID would have for us as a church. And of course, one of our greatest concern at the time was, should we continue building or should we press pause on construction? After much prayer and discussion, we decided to continue construction at both Bears Paw and here, uh, the uh, expansion at Central Campus. There are many reasons for our decision, but let me just mention two. First, we believe that God's leading three years ago now 
to step out and to provide more space for ministry is still his will for us today. In other words, we don't believe God changed his mind because of COVID. Our church is alive. It continues to be on mission because Jesus is Lord and he is building his church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. A second major reason we decide to continue construction is that even though COVID restrictions have limited the use of our facilities, one day when COVID is no longer a concern, and I know you're wondering if that day is ever going to come, but it will come one day. When that day comes, our facilities will continue to be important tools that God will use to reach our city for Christ and to advance the mission that he's called us to. You see, we need to see beyond this year or the next. We need to see beyond the pandemic. We need to focus on the next decade. We need to focus on future generations that will benefit from the faith and the obedience that we are exercising. Even as we, right now, as we sit in this place, or even as we uh, take this service in online, are benefiting uh, from the generosity and the faith of those who have gone before us. As you've heard me say before, our mission as a church is not about constructing buildings. It's all about people, introducing people to Jesus. Buildings don't make disciples, but God can use what takes place in those buildings to make disciples. Something that we have witnessed take place in the lives of thousands of people over our history. Now for a, a number of reasons, our costs have gone up and we're going to be providing an update next weekend on all of that. But my request of all of you, whether you were part of our build journey the last three years or whether you're newer to our church or chose not to be part of this faith journey. My request is that you would consider how you will trust God in your finances this coming year. That you will actually take this to God and ask him to show you the step of faith that he would have you take. Not only in support, supporting our mission and ministry as a church, through your time, through your talent and through your finances, but also how we would have you support our build initiative. You know, my wife Gwen and I have made faith pledges to God most of our married life. And I can tell you from our experience, and I wish I could just tell you all the stories, unbelievable stories of God's faithfulness. I can just tell you from our experience that as we have stepped in, out in faith and as we have given sacrificially, not only has God provided for our needs, he's also provided for some of our wants in ways that we never expected. But our faith and our trust in him has gone to another level through trusting him in the area of giving. Jesus said, give and it will be given to you. I challenge you to grow in your faith by responding to his call. And so again, my challenge to all of us is that we won't ignore the importance of pursuing God's call to be generous. 
that we'll see it as an opportunity to grow our faith and that we will step out and make a faith goal to pursue generosity by establishing the following two God-pleasing faith goals, which again are on this card. God, I am trusting you to give me the strength and the time to lead or serve others in my church in the following ways. You may feel you have no time to serve or to give. Will you trust God? Will you step out and trust God with that? Secondly, God, I want to be generous with what you have given to me. Therefore, I am trusting you to provide so I can give to the mission and ministry of our church, so that I can give to our build initiative, so that I can give to other Christ-centered organizations. Now, in a moment, I'm going to close with a thought on our final pursuit, the pursuit of simplicity. But before I do, please watch this video clip by Wayne Cordero. Let me finish with this uh, story. We go to China from time to time, and, and uh, uh, we train leaders. And this time, we brought up 22 leaders from the Hunang province, and they rode 13 hours on a train to get to a hotel that they came up two by two in these elevators as, so as to not draw any attention. And then they got to a hotel room, a little apartment uh, room. It's only about 700 square feet in the little living room, no air conditioning, hardwood floor, 22 sat there. I came in, and when you teach in China, you start at 8 in the morning, and you don't get done till 5 at night. You teach the whole day. They were sitting there, all 22 of them, and I looked around and I said, now, if we get caught, what will happen to me? They said, oh, you'll get deported in 24 hours and we'll go to prison for three years. I said, you're kidding. How many of you have been in prison for your faith? Out of 22, 18 raised their hands. I thought, no way. And I looked at them and I said, you, you 22 people, how many people do you oversee? Because they were all of these small group leaders, underground church leaders in the Hunang province. I said, how many, if you counted up all the people under your jurisdiction, how many would it be? And they counted them up, and they said, little over 20 million. I said, what? See, we forget there's 1.3 billion people in China. This is crazy. Well, I had 15 Bibles, and I passed them out. Obviously, seven didn't get them. And I said, let's turn to 2 Peter chapter 1, and we're going to read it. And just then, one lady handed hers to somebody next to her. And I thought, hmm, interesting. Well, we turned there anyway, and as we started reading it, I understood why she gave it away. She had memorized the whole thing. She just recited the whole chapter. When it was done, I went over to her at a break, and I said, you, you, you recited the whole chapter. She says, oh, yes, I've memorized many chapters. I said, where did you memorize so many chapters? She said, in prison. <laughs> she said, you have much time in prison. <laughs> so I said, but don't they confiscate the Bible? And she said, yes. So people bring in scriptures written on pieces of paper, and they bring it in. So I said, but then if they find that piece of paper on you, won't they confiscate that? She said, oh, yes, that's why you memorize it as fast as you can. Because <laughs> even though they can take the paper away, they can't take what's hidden in your heart. I thought, wow. Well, after three days, you fall in love with these people. And when it was done, I said, how can I pray for you? I'm going to go back to America. You guys have been just so wonderful. How can I pray for you? They said, you know, 
Wayne, you guys can gather like this whenever you want to in America. We can't. Could you pray that one day we'll be just like you? And I looked at him and I said, I will not do that. Big, incredulous eyes looked at me and they said, why? <laughs> I said, because you guys rode a train for 13 hours to get here. In my country, if you've got to drive more than an hour, people don't come. You sat on a wooden floor for three days. In my country, if people have to sit more than 40 minutes, they leave. You sat not only here for three days on a hard wooden floor, but you did it without air conditioning. In my country, if it's not padded pews and air conditioning, people don't often come back. In my country, we have an average of two Bibles per family. We don't read any of them. You hardly have any Bibles, and you memorize them from pieces of paper. I will not pray that we become like, uh, you become like us, but I will pray that we become just like you. Now, there are so many takeaways from this little story by Wayne Cordero. I just encourage you to ask the Lord what he's saying to you, what he's saying to us about our attitudes, about the state of our heart, and what he wants us to do about it. The one takeaway I want to focus on as I close is how focused those 22 people were that Wayne taught. Riding a train for 13 hours, sitting on the floor for three days, eagerly, attentively drinking in Wayne's teaching, not for an hour, but all day. Even spending time in prison, none of these things really mattered to them. There was only one thing that mattered to them the most. To know Jesus and to give their lives to following and serving Jesus. And that is what our fifth pursuit is all about. You see, simplicity at its core is the will to focus on one thing. Simplicity is bringing clarity to what is most important to us in this life. And then going after that with laser-like determination. Many people are harried and hurried, frazzled because they're devoting their lives not to one main thing, but to a myriad of things. They want to experience all that God has for them, but they also want to experience what the counterfeit gods of our world offer them. In Matthew 6, Jesus says, you can't serve two masters. You can't serve two gods. It's just not possible. If you try to do that, your life is going to be chaos. What makes life rich and what makes life simple is having a single focus. And what that means is you have to make a choice. We have to make a choice. Joshua made a choice. He said, choose for yourself this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, 
we will serve the Lord. The Apostle Paul, he made a choice. In Philippians 1.21, he said, For to me to live is Christ. So let me ask you, for you to live is what? I don't know about you, but I am not interested in maintaining the status quo. I'm not interested in just living a good life and, then, and, and just going through the motions of my faith, playing it safe. However many years God gives me, I want to invest the rest of my life, my gifts, my resources in that which will glorify God and will last forever. Church, may we not be the generation that shrinks back and says enough already to all that God wants to do in and through us, to all that God wants to do in and through us as a church. No, may we, like those who have gone before us, step out in faith and leave a legacy of faith and of faithfulness to all who come behind us in our living, in our giving, and in our serving, to the glory of God and for the sake of those in our sphere of influence who need the Jesus that we know and love. Can you say amen to that? Would you please stand? Let's just take a moment right now and say, Lord, what are you saying to me? And what is it you want me to do about it? <laughs> and now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his precious peace. In the name of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Remember to take a couple of these cards as you leave today and fill them out. Bring one of them back next week. If you have a need to pray uh, with someone, our prayer partners are going to be here. Please make your way up here before you head out. God bless you as you go.